Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos and Greek football. This is the Matthew Valbuena edition, episode number 28, and midweek series episode number 13. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Ari Bulubasis, Lambros Sirmos, and our special guest for today, making his return appearance a very quick turnaround for him. We've got Antonios from Hellas Football, a Panathinaikos correspondent. He's here to talk to us about the big game coming up this weekend. Antoni, thanks so much for coming back. We're very happy to have you. How are you doing? Thanks, guys, for having me back. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited about this derby coming up. I'm glad to talk about it with you guys. It's going to be an interesting one, and we'll tell you why in a bit. It's definitely going to be an interesting derby. We'll have to see what happens. Before we do that, we are obligated to cover the Greek national team a little bit. Obviously, the disappointing result, but we will do that. First, we'll talk about some analytics from the game, maybe some things that were a bit surprising to us, some things that sort of point out some issues with the team, and then we'll ask some big questions about the Ethniki as well. And we'll finish off with the Derby of Eternal Enemies and a quick mailbag with some questions we've gotten from social media. Remember to follow us on all of our socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit at Gate7INTL and continue to interact with us for any questions that you might have. Before we do that, I do have some quick announcements to make. We will be joined by the host of the Hellas Football Podcast, which Antoni is also associated with, uh, George, who you can follow on Twitter at OliGeorge underscore. He will be joining us for a post-match discussion of the Panathinaikos game. That episode will air on Monday, November 23rd. Additionally, one of our contributors, Harry Hadjoanu, will be joining us for the midweek series next week to discuss the European fixtures as well as some interesting insights and experiences with his father being a former Olympiakos player. That episode will air on Friday, November 27th. Before our Champions League game with Porto, we will be joined by Luis, a correspondent for B24 in Portugal, to discuss pre-match for that game. The episode will air on Monday, December 7th. He also featured with Adi and Mohamed Ali from Marseille, on David Mooney's Blue Moon podcast, where they talked about Olympiacos, Marseille, and Porto players who also featured for Manchester City. So give that a listen if you haven't already. Additionally, we will be hosting Michael Vicini once again on Sunday, December 20th, or sorry, Monday, December 21st. So keep an eye out for that one. Mark your calendars, even though it's a month away, but it's going to be a good one. Thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. We're going to be doing a, a poll also because there's been some very interesting comments about what the format of the Michael and Lambro rant episode will be. And we're kind of stuck between either, you know, maybe like a, a little high energy, just constant ranting or maybe like fireside chats where they rant, but it's the ambience is a little bit calmer. 
you know, some calmer music in the background. So we haven't really decided that format yet, but we're probably going to do a poll and see what people are, are looking at. Do we just get Lombro and Michael revved up forever for the whole thing? Or do we try to keep it somber and go that way? We'll definitely have that poll live, but uh, that we want to see what the, what the boys think. Lombro, do you think you can stay calm for an entire episode without getting your voice up or getting, getting angry? I don't think that's possible, especially what we watched uh, <laughs> yesterday. My God. I actually was pretty mad watching the game. Like, Limnios, like, dribbled into four people, Lazar Angelovic style, and just, like, like slammed my hand down. I was like, what are you doing, you clown? And, but, but we'll see. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to work on that. Uh, don't you think Michael can out. stay calm? Uh, you know, Michael, he can get uh, he can get pretty passionate. So I- I'm among the camp. I'll-, I'll give a vote. I'd love to see these two just ranting the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really working on it. You know, I'm taking my bike out for bikes around beautiful Lake Geneva. You know, just getting the the good fresh air. But still, I'm I'm ready to go every every midweek, every weekend. Get that vitamin D. It's very important. Keep getting out there on the bike, Lambro. We know how much you love it. Before we do really get into this draw with Slovenia, a few quick news points relating to Olympiakos and Greece. The Greece U21 national team didn't disappoint us. They beat Scotland 1-0. Efthymnios Christopoulos, the Ike youngster, scored the decisive goal in the 27th minute. For Olympiakos fans, I hate to disappoint you, but Vrusai and Solakis were both on the bench for this game, and obviously Surdi's still missing with coronavirus. Olympiakos have had a tough international break. Both of our strikers, El Arabi and Hassan, have tested positive for coronavirus. We mentioned in a previous episode, I believe, that Salah had tested positive. We saw Hassan pictured with Salah a few days prior to Salah's positive test. So it's no mystery where he got it from. It's very unfortunate. Jose Holebas and Ruben Vinagre are still injured and will be at least for the Manchester City game. So they'll be out this weekend. We'll get into more about all of the injuries Olympiacos will be facing when we talk about the Derby. And to make matters worse, Matthew Valbuena also injured. We're hearing five weeks, which is basically the rest of the Champions League group stage, all the way through to the Christmas break. My God, folks, it's been a rough one for Olympiacos. Who who could have predicted that 37-year-old Matthew Valbuena would get injured? Who could have imagined that, you know, playing twice a week against ridiculously weak Greek competition, 90 minutes. It's amazing. I'm stunned. I never could have seen this day coming. Bravo, Coach Martins. Bravo, Libyakos. We're in trouble. Fortunis, please, God, help us. This happened last year. Around the same time also, Valbuena had an injury that kept him out like five or six weeks. So it's this is not new. We knew this was bound to happen, especially when he's playing multiple games a week. We've had multiple stretches. We've had four games in 10 days, and we didn't think this was going to happen sooner or later. Absolutely. I think the silver lining here is, you know, we know that Martins kind of sticked with his same like 14 players in rotation with so many of the elder veterans that we knew he was going to rely on being absent. It should force him to play some of the younger guys that are quite frustrated. They're not playing Maxi Lavera and Fortunius, even though maybe he's not older, but maybe we'll finally see that injection. Yeah, you said it best, Adi. I was just about to chime in and say that. Hopefully, we can finally see Maxi Lavera or Vrusai or some of these players 
Kuipers might get some run in the team. But as I said, let's first get over with this discussion about Greece and Slovenia. To set the scene for folks who aren't aware, UEFA Nations League C final match day. Greece are two points behind Slovenia for the top of the group. In other words, they have to win after a fairly uneventful 0-0 draw in the first week of fixtures so long ago. Greece replicated that result against Slovenia and finished nil-nil. There was a lot of entertainment, I would say, in this game. A lot of tactical changes. There was a late red card that, I mean, actually didn't really have that big of an impact on the game, but a red card nonetheless. We've certainly got a lot to say about it, and with this being the last international break for a while, we've got a lot to say about Jan von Schipp's campaign as a whole, the Ethniki's direction. We're going to look back and compare the Ethniki to some previous managers and see, are we going in the right direction? Now, Anthony, you're the guest, so we're going to ask for your opinion first, either on this game or on the team's direction as a whole. Do you think that they played well? Are you satisfied? Are you disappointed? Are you upset? What are your thoughts? I'm going to comment on the Slovenia game. We needed the win, obviously, you know, to finish first place. And I felt that JVS won with a more safe approach, I guess, even though I believe a loss or a draw would have resulted in the same thing. So I would have honestly wanted him to go with something more attacking in mind, I guess. Uh, as usual, I have criticisms about his, his lineup decisions. He plays Bacasetas in the same position that Fortunis would normally play. And, and I honestly prefer Fortunis over Bacasetas as the cam. So it's just little things like this with the lineup that he did. And overall, you know, we had chances in the game yesterday. But I, honestly, you know, my, my friend Greg on the LS Footy podcast always says it. Anytime they put the ethnic shirt on, the Greek national team shirt, they just cannot score. And I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed. I don't think it's, you know, the end of the world, as I was seeing on Twitter and Facebook and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty disappointed, honestly, with, with what happened yesterday. As am I. I am also very disappointed. I was a little upset when I saw the lineup, but I was okay to start because I thought it was going to be more open, at least, than the games against, say, Moldova or Kosovo. But the problem for me... And I'm, it's obviously the whole thing doesn't go on JVS. He can't score the goals. He can't be there scoring the, the sitter that Corbelis missed from the Fortunis cutback. So, you know, he can't score that for them. So obviously we can't put that on him. But we can put on him the decisions that are made to put Greece into the best position to create the most opportunities. That's what I'm going to put on him. And there is plenty of blame for that i promise you between both tactics and player choice this game mirrored the exact same game script of the first game we played against them almost literally you look at the data and it's almost the same literally the same number of positional attacks same number of shots almost same everything and we knew what we were getting there and the worst part is we didn't address anything Obviously, the problem in the first game, we had no width on the left. Madalos was playing out of position on that left wing. And we saw what happened. Most of the attacks came from our right side through Limio. No width on the left. Any attack that came was usually Yanulis extending himself, crossing early on in the final third, or trying to cut inward. Obviously, yesterday... Even though more of the attacks were coming from the left this time than the right, it was a larger share. Only one attack of ours went to the end line 
for some type of cutback. And that was the the Tsimikas cut inward. He flipped the ball over, and Fortunis got the header on it. That was the only time we did that. Now, why is this important? Because you have a, a handful of ways you can break a bus. And as the game started to become more closed and Slovenia was bringing numbers behind the ball, you have a couple of options as a team that you can kind of break the bus down, especially when you have one of the best goalkeepers in the world behind the net. What are those things you can do? First, obviously, a restart. Your, your mids, whoever can restart the ball, try and draw out the defenders. We did that. Didn't really work too well. You employ width. What does that mean? A real winger. Somebody that can stretch the field, pull the defenders with him, go to the end line. When you go to the end line, you sink the defenders with you. This creates space so that we can score goals like what Fortuny scored, what Zoli scored during the friendly against Cyprus, against Moldova. That is how you break down these defenses. You need to do that. Did we do it on the right? Yeah, Lemieux did it. He's a real winger. Did we do it on the left? No. One time, we had 14 positional attacks on the left. We had one that went to the end line. Tsimikas overlapping and running it. Otherwise, it was mainly crosses from the beginning of the offensive third. This is not a tactical masterclass. This was the same problem we had, and it wasn't addressed. You said it very well, Adi. And with the fact that we've already played Slovenia and the same thing happened, and then we go to play them again, and we know... If anything, they're going to be more defensive because they have nothing to lose. They can take a draw and win the group. They don't have to score. They just need to not concede. That was their goal going into the game. It was obvious. And you're right in that they have a top goalkeeper, arguably the best in the world in goal. And for me, the solution to that is the things you said, Adi, plus also just get shots on target. Like we can do all the things we want to you know, just work for these chances and wait for opportunity, but you just got to get the shot on target. And then hopefully one gets by this guy. We had a couple good shots in the second half. Bakasetas, I have to give it to him. He had a nice shot from way out that actually, I think landed on target and really tested Oblak. And then Pavididis with that overhead kick out of nowhere that also tested Oblak quite a bit. But for me, I also look at the changes that were made. And I think those are the most frustrating things for me. He rolls out with Yakumakis to start. Halftime, John Venship decides that it's time for Pavelidis to come on. Ah, yes, we're down a goal. Let's take off the guy who can't stop scoring for the Netherlands, who scored in his debut for us, and put Pavelidis, who is a hold-up player for us. You watch the game. I'll talk about eye test, and then I'll talk about analytics. You watch the game. Pavadidis has sees the ball come towards him. He turns around. He doesn't even, he's not even thinking about the goal. He's looking to hold up play and distribute it outwards. And sometimes that's fine, but I want a striker who's going to look for the goal. Pavadidis, he had two shots. One of them was with his back to the goal. So like, does that, what does that even tell us? Nothing, none of his shots had above 0.1 expected goals, which basically means he's not creating high threat opportunities. He had three losses in possession. He was getting the ball a lot more, but he was passing it a lot more. He had 11 passes. Six of them were completed compared to Yakumakis, who only passed the ball three times and for what it's worth, completed all of them. And then when you look at offensive duels, 
Yakumaki's two for four, Pavaridi's 0 for two. He wasn't actually attacking defenders that much. He was just getting the ball and distributing out more. And that's shown by more passes and less offensive duels. The problem with Pavlidis is, and we mentioned this in the last episode we did with Super Greek, there's context for him if the game is more open. So you could have been okay with Van Chip starting Pavlidis for this game when it was more open. Yep. And when Slovenia was actually trying to play a little bit, not just park the bus, there would have been game script for that. But how telling is it? This man only completed six passes, right? He had those two shots, one which was whatever and even that bicycle kick he had the area he was the type of opportunity he had only triggered an x goal metric of 0.02 so a shot the way he had it from where he was two percent of the time goes in realistically it's not something that does anything and the only two other offensive duels he had he lost he had a nice dribble but three losses in possession did this man actually give us more than he screwed up no yeah, I think Yakumak had a fine half, and I would have kept him on for sure. I think Spore FM did us all just with their headline last night, and the headline was Eki Eki Stigama Iatniki, which basically means in the third division, the national team, which is a funny chant we, we like to say. But I want to take a step back, you know, and I, I know everyone is expecting me to go on this fiery rant, like, oh, fire, everyone fire that after my ranting in Greek last night, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back and it's not me ranting. It's Haristeas on Twitter who doesn't even use Twitter calling the team losers. You know, the statements that came out of that locker room were a joke. I don't know if you guys read this. Saverlas coming out and said, we showed that we're a very good team. We're top Limnios going in front of the cameras and he could keep a straight face and said, we've made Greeks proud. You're losers. You're losers. What are you talking about? You can't even qualify against Slovenia. Who do you make proud? What a joke. Northern Macedonia, Skopje is qualifying in the group C. Who are you doing proud? Olympiakos EU. We were talking and a lot of Olympiakos fans could care less about this national team because of what we've seen the past six years. But just where's the winners, you know? Where's the winning mentality, Limnios? What, what, what is this? Like a, a nil-nil draw for Slovenia where we need to win? And you're just like, we did Greeks proud? That's You did no one proud. Tavelis, you showed you're a good team. Tavelis, you showed you're an MMA fighter. You should have gotten sent off, you clown. What a joke you are. Players are nothing. I, I want Siovas back. I want Manulas back. I'm tired with these clowns and these leaders of Bacasetas who say we're top team and we did people proud. You're a clown. Go go do people proud in Turkey. Like, that was a joke. Well, you know, it's it's obvious this team is lacking some sort of Karagunis or, or some type of veteran type leader, the, like the old, you know, the old days. I mean, I look at the World Cup 2014 squad or the Euro 2012 squad and they were, they were all a unit. They were all willing to go out and sacrifice. I mean, of course, they didn't always play the prettiest football, but they were able to get results. They weren't celebrating going crazy after a mediocre display against Slovenia in a game that you have to win. We're quite a ways away from being what we were before, but I really don't like the, the mentality of the team. That's, that's for sure. I do have my criticisms, and that's definitely one and, of them. And, and, and it's and, accepting yeah, mediocrity. And, what yeah, is that? Exactly. Exactly. The things some of them said, like, we've played better football under JVS. Sure, I think some of the analytics prove that, and we can get into that. But 
Like, you're still losers. You play ugly football. You play good football. You still don't qualify in Group C. And Kosovo, who doesn't have any of their players, aren't even in the group. Slovenia with Ilicic didn't even play half the time. Oblak was injured and didn't play some of the games. Like, you're clowns. What What are you on about? We did proud. We, we showed improvement. You're playing terrible teams. And it's just a clown mentality. You need players who've played at the top level in this team. Your leaders are mid-table Turkish players. Are you kidding me? What do they know about winning? Getting fifth place with Balanyaspor and not making Europe? Is this a joke? They've never won anything in their life. Has Savelas ever won a trophy? Has Bacasetas ever won a trophy? Maybe that one season with Ike? They're the leaders? Are you kidding me? Just a clown show. The thing for me is you can own the result. Even JVS said at the beginning of this campaign, we're, we got to win this group. You can be disappointed in the result, and it doesn't reflect badly on your team. You can be disappointed in something and have it fire you up for the next time you go out. When I was a player, it was the same. If we knew we were supposed to beat somebody and we lost, it was, no, we should have won that. We owned it. Heaven forbid we didn't. If I went to my coach and said, oh, I was happy with that result. My coach back then would have had me running. I had a Greek coach who was also a scout for Libyakos. He would have run me nonstop. I would have run for two hours if I was happy with that result. We should have won that. It's disappointing that we didn't. Be honest. This is disappointing. You can, you know, you, there's other things you can say. Fair sh- we didn't get a fair shake this. It was, du- it was tough this. We didn't finish this. No, but own up to the fact that this was a disappointment. This doesn't mean that JVS is worse than other coaches. We'll get into that later. But this was a disappointing campaign. A hundred percent. And you see people on social media say like, oh, Greece doesn't have the talent. Greece doesn't have the talent. Look at these other rosters, man. You, yes, Greece, okay, yeah. we're not Germany or Spain here. Look at the rosters of Slovenia, Moldova. Look where the clubs these guys come from. Okay, Greece is not Spain, but this Greek football team and the players that available to John Van Schip are talented and we have good players. Like, stop thinking this team is nothing and has terrible players. It's like, there's Champions League players available to be called up upon. There's players who are young and look like they could be the next thing. Like, this is not garbage fire. Moldova has players who literally play in the Moldovan League. And Kosovo has players who play in the Albanian League. Slovenia has players who play, like, mid-table Croatian teams. So this narrative of, like, we're not talented enough, group sees the level, come on. That, that's such an easy cop-out, and it's lazy because you obviously haven't looked at the quality of the teams in the group. The same narratives always come up from the from the, the national team and this stuff. We had chances, but we just didn't get the goal. Danny Poyatos, are you back? I'm at, since we're playing Panathinaikos, are you back, Danny? I remember <laughs> you saying that. We played a world-class goalkeeper. If we didn't play Oblak, the goals would have flown in. Give me a day off. Give me a day off. There wasn't one clear-cut chance in that whole game. Oblak saved what he had to save. Did he make it look good? Of course, he's one of the best keepers in the world. There was at no point where you're like, oh, my God, Oblak, what an amazing save. Like, he did what he had to do. It's, it's just simple, uh, just, like, not understanding football when you read that stuff. And it's the same story, that stuff. Well, as they say, you can only be unlucky so many times, and then it's not luck anymore. You know, oh, we were unlucky against Slovenia the first time. We were unlucky to draw Kosovo. 
We're unlucky against Slovenia again. Seems like there's a pattern there. It's interesting how we actually never uh, aren't unlucky. It's almost like maybe people's expectations for what we would see are not up to par. And Lamro's right. The fact that the, we don't have enough talent is just not an excuse. We have talent. Costas Fortunis is the definition of talent with the ball at his feet, but he's being played out of position. We've got a lot of talented players in the team. Limnos can be very, very good. He, we've seen him be great for us. Maybe not the best game for him against Slovenia, but he's had some very good performances. Even some of the defenders are not bad. The goalkeeping is pretty good, although it didn't really come into play. Also, the funny thing to me is when Greece were winning, they played the gritty football big defensive sides, Euro 2004, it was more than the talent. They were just a team. Nobody was saying talent is an excuse there. I mean, that Greece team, as we've talked about with George Tsitsonis, they were pretty talented as well. I'm not going to say that. Like, this current ethnic key is not as talented as that 2004 team was. But, you know, back then they're saying, oh, we didn't need talent. We just needed a team. The team is more than the players. And now it's like, oh, we can't beat Slovenia. We don't have the players to do it. Like, what, what has changed? I don't understand. And, I mean, another thing that's kind of getting me as well is you're, you're fine with a, a nil-nil result against uh, Slovenia. What's going to happen when we start playing in uh, Germany or, or Spain or somebody really, you know, six nothing? You know, we're going to get blown off the pitch. And what's going to be, you know, oh, they were just way better than us. The ethniki of old, I mean, just from a few years back with Karagunis and everybody, they would, I mean, they would try their best and stick it to them. They always wanted to win. This, yep. you know, mentality that they have now, I don't like it. You can't be celebrating nil-nil wins in games that you should be winning against Slovenia. No, you're absolutely right. It's it, 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 This is a loser's mentality. Now, before we continue to just rant and do general gripes, let's focus it a little bit and really just kind of break down what we saw the formation and what was wrong with it and why it was wrong because this is really what a lot of the debate is about you know we've seen people yesterday say oh no we couldn't do anything differently we played great we maximized our opportunities and the truth is not that's not the case we had virtu virtually the same that we did last if we had really improved over the last performance against Slovenia, you could say that, but we didn't. It was the same game script and the same things happened. Literally, we had the same number of shots on target. Seven. Ridiculous. Did we have like two more shots total? Yeah. Still only put seven on there. Almost the same number of positional attacks too. 27 in the first round, 31 this time. Four more positional attacks, but ended up with the same number of shots from those positional attacks. Did we do anything? No, nothing different, nothing improved. Why? Because we started with the 4-2-3-1. We started with that. And it's okay to have that balanced approach. We don't have any eights. We've talked about this before. We don't have that Galanopoulos for Libyakos fans. We don't have that Mari Camara. We don't have that dynamic midfielder yet for the Ethniki. Unless Galanopoulos comes back, we don't have it. So it's acceptable for me if you want to start with two DMs at least to limit the counter. Because we did. We limited them on the counter. We limited them in everything. It's, it's fine if you want to start out with that that way. But Bacasetas isn't going to give you the performance he did against Moldova every game. That's kind of far and away. You're lucky to get that. That's not his normal. Here's what, here's what we got out of Bacasetas in the number 10. We got one shot. One shot blocked by a defender. So one shot on target that was saved by Oblock. One shot that was blocked by a defender. And then one shot that was deflected that went off target. Okay, 
couple of shots, a couple of good looks. A lot of passes. He did have two dribbles. He lost the ball seven times in possession. We rude Bukalakis in the Moldova game about how many times he lost possession. Nine times. And Bakasetas at the number 10 lost the ball seven times. Unacceptable. Stupid passes, stupid decisions. Three interceptions, nine recoveries. No smart passes, no key passes, nothing. The red card was Bakasetas' fault. I don't know if people remember that. Can you explain that maybe to why Bakasetas led to the red card? And also, I think Slovenia had a chance on goal from another one of those stupid passes stupid that he made. Can you? Yeah, and yes. that's that's but that's the problem. That precursor. Now people are going to say that oh, that's like a step away. You know, I mean, you could every giveaway leads to something. Yes, it does. And it, we're fortunate that it didn't lead, but it led to those dangerous opportunities. And that could have put us away. And this is the problem because look at, look at what Fortunis did. How many giveaways did he have? Bad ones. Can anyone think of one? He did. He had four, but they weren't in dangerous locations. But he was also taking risks. If you're taking risks and losing the ball because of that, it is acceptable. Bacasetas takes no risks. Have you noticed that the only smart passes he's had for the national team, which came when we were man up against Moldova the first time, and then in the game against Moldova last time, was during the, when he would get an interception, the defenders would be split apart. He had that five meter or maybe 10 meter pass right in front of him that went right to the goal. It's the only time he can do it. If it's right in front of him, he does not have the technical capacity to do it. He can't. And John Van Chip is married to having this man play the number 10. If Fortunis played at the 10 and was able to actually be central and we had a real winger on the left, real width on the team, then this would have been a completely different game. I guarantee you. Look what Fortunis did, basically playing the whole field because he didn't play left wing. He registered on the heat map as an attacking mid. We basically played with two attacking mids the whole game. Fortunis was all over the place. He was coming central, distributing, one key pass, two shot assists, four successful dribbles. Now, he did lose the ball offensively. He got stuck. If we get rid of the dribbles from the offensive duels, he only won one out of 11 offensive duels. But when you're going and getting stuck in the corners, that can happen. Do we want to see better? Yes. We already mentioned he lost the ball four times in possession. Part of that was with those offensive duels. Trying to do something maybe should have gotten rid of the ball sooner. Two for three crosses, three progressive runs. He attempted seven balls into the penalty area. More than anybody else on the Greek team against Slovenia. And two interceptions and six recoveries. So all we hear about is how Bacasetas does more work off the ball. And Fortunis did more work off the ball than Bacasetas did and also contributed more out of position. He is the real number 10, needs to play as a number 10. You start the 4-2-3-1 with, with Fortunis at the 10 instead of Bacasetas, I guarantee you we win this game. That's a problem that I have with, with JVS. And uh, I don't know if we're going to delve into that a little bit later or not, but to me, it seems like he plays favorites. I mean, Bacasetas has no business playing as the number 10 in this national team squad. For me, it's, I've been very vocal. I love Fortunis. He should be the number 10. He should be playing in that spot. Why is it that uh, Fortunis has to be sacrificed and played out of position on the left? Or Mandalos, as an example. I mean, you keep Bacasetas in because he kisses up to, to JVS. It's ridiculous. And one point I'll make, Bacasetas is... He, he works his socks off. He runs so hard. He gives the press. 
he doesn't know how to press to save his life. Zeka came up from the midfield, I remember very clearly, and, and gave a great pressure. And Bakasetas dropped off. He, he didn't press as a team, and that led to a Slovenia opening because Zeka came out of position for a good press. It was a fantastic press, and he needed support. And Bakasetas dropped off, and they just played simply around Zeka, and boom, they had an opening, and there was an opening in the midfield. He's not a good footballer. Can, can we just say this? There's a reason Ike sold him for peanuts and why they kicked him out the door and why he plays at a mid-table Turkish team. I'm sorry. This is just a fact. And it hurts for Bakasetas, but he's never going to be anything. And Well, they're top of the table now. That's, I like this more. Nope, doesn't matter. They're mid-table. <laughs> they'll always be mid-table. <laughs> I, I, I said to you last time when we were complaining about Bakasetas, like, why, why complain? He's the blah, blah, blah. He's the everything. But it just makes no sense. It lets the conspiracy theories fly. Like, oh, JVS is trying to get him a new contract. They have the same agent. They know the same. Just like, it, it makes no sense logically because the data says it. The eye test says it. Everything says it. And it's not like, oh, he's starting and has a bad game. He comes off. He's the captain. He doesn't get subbed. He's the first one in front of the mics. He's the first one next to JVS. Like, that should be your star player or your leader. And Bakasetas is that leader right now. And this national team is in trouble because of it. Before we move on, because I know we want to, I do want to also address another instance of players being played out of position. After the halftime change that brought Pavaridis on, obviously as a striker, I think we can all agree, at least the four of us here, we can all agree Pavaridis is a striker. Now, JVS seems to have the idea that Pavaridis is actually a player who can play multiple positions. He's a versatile player. Um, I never really get this impression from Pavaridis, who is not very quick, not a very good crosser of the ball, not really good at getting by defenders, but apparently he has the credentials to play not only as a striker, but on the left wing, as well as as an attacking midfielder. We looked at the analytics, the match report from Y Scout, and they basically give, based on where the player was on the pitch, they give an estimate of what formation the team was playing and how that changes when substitutions were made. So as discussed, we had the 4-2-3-1. Pavaridis was the striker, subbed on for Yakumakis. Christos Zolis comes on for Zeka in an obvious attacking move later in the second half. What I expect to see is Bakasetas drops back with Kurbelis, Fortunis moves to the center, Zolis is a left winger and goes on the left wing. That's almost what we saw. What we actually saw was swap Zolis with Pavaridis. Does this make any sense? It's right there for the taking. You've got a left winger and a striker. And it's just, it's just obvious what you do. This is a game when we need a goal or we do not win the group. And Jan van Schip thinks it's a fine time to just go and have a little fun, have a little experiment. I just don't understand trying this now when he was a left winger in the friendly. Like, clearly, you know, that's his best position. And then when we put Masuras, another winger, on for, I believe it was Saveras, Corbelis moves back to a center back. And the midfield is Bakasetas as the lone defensive midfielder playing farther back than any of the other midfielders on the pitch. And then 
Fortunis and Pavanidis as the midfielders with Zodis still at the top and Masuras on the wing. What is that? It was absurd. It was the dumbest thing. We needed width. We needed to break the bus apart. We talked about it earlier. And what does he do? He continues with no width. So all of our players are floating central because we have no real left wing playing. Everybody's floating central, and we are cramming the box. We are cramming the front of the final third. How in God's name are you going to break a bus when you have no width on the field? We already told you the analytics about the positional attacks. Nothing, nothing going out there. One time we had somebody go to the end line. It was Tsimikas. Tsimikas, of course, overlapping and basically playing almost as a left wing up there half the time. But he needs that help. He needs a real winger out there to overlap from to help create space to make his life easier. And that never, ever happened. So when we made the change in the second half, we could have kept the two DMs because despite the offensive issues that were going on, Zeka and Kurbelis were doing what they were supposed to off the ball. Because of those two guys, we didn't bite many counters. I think they had two attempts at counters all game, maybe three. And it was because of Corbelis and Zeka that that happened. So they had purpose in the beginning. But in the second half, when you really need to get moving, and we are on the front foot, we have to win, you can afford to take one of those guys off or at least press higher or shoot, push Fortunis into the 10 and then drop Bacaseta since he has to be on the field. That's what you do and create width. But we didn't do that. And just to stress that that we still think Corbelis and Zeka did their job, the two of them had over a third of, of Greece's total interceptions the whole game. Zeka and Corbelis. Without them, we eat counters. 34 recoveries between the two of them. They mopped up everything. They did their job to ensure we could stay on the front foot. But in the second half, the game script doesn't need them anymore because a draw and a loss are the same thing for us. Has to be a win. And what happens? Instead of getting Yakumakis, really the only striker that we have besides Funtastak can play in this game script, despite having a, a more quiet first half, we sub him out for the exact opposite. These are the issues. These are the problems. Game script eludes JVS. I, I don't know if he has the mental capacity for it, to be honest with you. Now, it took an entire Nations League campaign to get him to realize Fortunis is the best we have. It's the only offensive creativity, or I should say the primary offensive creativity we have. It took a whole campaign for that. I just want to add a quick shout out to a tweet that I thought was just very funny. Um, talking about the way JVS makes changes. Someone tweeted about around halftime or maybe early into the second half. Uh, this was Kostas underscore 2121 tweeted, watch JVS bring on Kiriakopoulos for Chimikas for absolutely no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Which ended up happening right towards the end of the game yeah. for literally no reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chimikas, look, the, the poor kid was burning up and down the pitch the whole time. Didn't have he enough help. Exhausted. Yeah, and he, the and same story the same. as Yanulis in previous games. Didn't yeah, have and that's help. the thing. When you don't have a real winger out there, you you take that away. Now, I said about a minute ago that I don't know what this means going forward, but I want to clarify that because despite what we saw here, there is a silver lining. We're in pot three for the World Cup. Okay, we didn't win Nations League. You know, we're not going to get that extra that extra safety blanket if something goes wrong in the qualification bracket. 
But I still think that the national team in general is on the right track. And how do we know this? How, how do we know that we're on the right track? There's a lot of frustrated people seeing what's going on. How do we know that this team is better than what we had before? Well, let's take a look at what Skibby did. Now, everybody agrees that the last five years have been pretty much a dark period for Greek soccer. We're not even going to touch Anastasiadis because he was just awful. But Skibby, in the beginning, had some good things, but then towards the end kind of lost the plot. So the question we should be asking is, at this point, does JVS offer us more than Skibby did? And if the answer is yes, then we're on the right track. If the answer is no, then that's when you start saying, is he the right coach? So before I tell you my opinion, I'm going to give you the metrics. I'm going to give you the data. We're going to go through Skibby. We're going to go through JVS for this campaign. And we're going to touch on the things that are pretty important for what we're considering. We're going to go over positional attacks, how well we get forward, how often we get forward, and the efficiency with which we get shots off of it. We're going to go into shots. Do we actually get looks on target? How often? How good are we at getting them on target? And then smart passes. Why are we including smart passes? Because smart passes is really the best indicator for us how we break defenses down. Do we have the creativity to cut through passes or cut passes behind the defenders? Are we working on getting runs behind them to make big, clear scoring opportunities? So let's dive in real quick. Skibby. For positional attacks, in 2016, the Greek national team played teams like Estonia, Bosnia, Gibraltar, Netherlands in a friendly, Montenegro in a friendly. Positional attack-wise, we were averaging 24 a game, getting shots off 17.1% of the time. Teams against us were getting 27 positional attacks off, 18.4%. You'd like to see better than that. In 2017... During the, the World Cup qualification campaign, we were playing teams like Belgium, Bosnia, and Croatia. Remember in the playoffs. 25.38 positional attacks, converting only 14.3% to shots. Against us, teams were getting almost 30 positional attacks and converting about 16.2%. So the defense was okay, but teams had more chances on us than we did on them. 2018, we played teams like Estonia, Finland. I know you guys remember some of those games. Egypt friendly, Saudi Arabia friendly, Hungary, Switzerland friendly. We were averaging almost 30 positional attacks a game, converting only about 14.9% into shots. Against, teams were only getting about 19 positional attacks per game, but converting 20.1%. That's what we had with Skibby. Now let's take JVS. This campaign for JVS, Greece is averaging almost 30 positional attacks per game. Pretty good, all things considered. And we're converting almost 25% of them into shots. So we're getting just about as many as we did in Skibby's best year with the national team in terms of positional attacks. We're possessing better and we're converting more of those into shots. Now, opponents against us, this Nations League window, 18, only 18 positional attacks and they're only converting 13% into shots. This is good. That means that we're getting more positional attacks and they're converting less into shots. All of that may make sense. And the analysis, of course, and data backs up what you say. But Skibbe also had to play like real competition. We're playing Kosovo without 14 players, Moldova. Like These are tragic teams. Like, let's be honest. Slovenia has two players, Ilicic and Oblak. 
if we're, we're being real. You know why I'm down on this is because I have seen this story before. And I know what's going to happen. JVS is going to lose the first two or three games. Come March, and he's gone. Whippy, he's out the door. And Manolas and Silvas are back. Hopefully a decent manager. Probably not. And we're back in the circus again. That's where I feel because I feel we're very we're, we're in that Skibbe situation where he's failed, which is Croatia World Cup. And now we're, we're going into the new campaign. Everyone's like, let's give him the go. Let's go for it. And then he loses the first two or three games and, and he's gone. And so that's kind of where my head is at. Like the numbers may be better, but like the opposition, just like from what I can remember, wouldn't be as good. And that's a reasonable argument to have. You actually beat me to the punch on that. So really the best thing we can do to compare is in 2018 when maybe the competition wasn't 2017 level or 2016 when the competition was, you know, Estonia, Gibraltar. And looking at that, and even compared to that type of uh, competition, JVS, at least positional attack-wise and efficiency off shots, is improved over that. So that's a silver lining there. That is an improvement. might not be much, but it's, it is an improvement, not to mention we possess against teams more. Now let's look at shots. Skibby never averaged more than 10 shots a game, uh, 11 shots actually in 2018. And converted about 30% of them, even against poor competition. JVS this season, we're averaging 14 shots a game, three more shots per game and converting 40% of them. Teams against us are only averaging six a game, converting about 30%. Skibby, teams were getting 10, 11 shots per game, converting anywhere between 35 to 40% of them, depending on the game score, especially in 2017, it was 41%, but against harder competition. So that being said, getting more shots off, even against poor competition and allowing way less off. So this is a start. Now, the one that, the one that I look for and the thing that's more curious for me and where I do see a light at the end of the tunnel here and why I think JVS is on the right track Smart passes. We talked about why smart passes are important because this is a clear indication of how often and how well we can break through defenses. Skibby, 2016, we averaged seven smart passes a game. So that was seven clear passes that attempted to break through a defensive line. 31% of those were successful. So you figure maybe two and a half a game. 2017, 7.25, 37.9%. So against better competition with better defenses, probably off the counter as well, there's context there, we were able to cut the defense a little bit more often. But teams were doing it way more against us, averaging nine smart passes against us with a success rate of about 37%. So our defense was getting cut through. And then in 2018, when things were noticeably getting bad, Greece was only averaging about 5.6 smart passes per game with a 19% efficiency rating, which means only 20%. So one smart pass a game was really getting behind the defense. And that was the main issue with Skibby is that it seemed like we couldn't cut into defenses. But on the other hand, teams were getting about five against us as well, five per game, maybe less overall, but 54% were cutting through the defensive line. So that's when we saw Skibby starting to lose it because we saw that our defense was starting to get carved up. JVS against poor competition, similar to Skibby in 2018 and 2016, averaging seven smart passes a game. We are able to cut the defenses. Now, a lot of that, of course, is when Fortunis comes in, and a lot of that is in, you know, against some of the worst competition, we understand. 
34% effectiveness. These poor teams are only averaging about three smart passes per game against us. And the success rate is only 27%, which means less than one smart pass a game happens against Greece. So Skibby played against similar poor competition and didn't perform as well. And with the, the creativity metrics, the shot metrics, positional attacks, it does give me hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Skibby takes a while to learn, and he definitely has his favorites. We're going to have to break that somehow. But there's something here. We are playing better. We are playing more attractive. We just need to figure out the personnel and get Skibby, or Skibby, sorry, get JVS to pick the right players. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really glad you shared those numbers with us, Adi, because they do provide good context. Obviously, the opponents do matter, but I think even then you can see that it could be worse in some degrees. I think with that, we're not going to be seeing the Ethniki for a few months. Uh, I know Lambro is very happy about that. We'll be focusing on domestic football for a while in Greece. Why don't we all go around and give sort of our, our farewells to the Ethniki? What we saw this, this uh, campaign, what we're looking for in the future. I think I'll start. It was not very uh, exciting football for me. I think the Cyprus friendly may have been the highlight. There was a lot of disappointment. Maybe my expectations were too high, but at the end of the day, especially with those numbers that Adi just told us, I think the best idea is to keep Jan Benship on for now. Um, maybe in the future we will see that he doesn't learn, but I will continually be frustrated by JVS's lack of knowledge of his players, his continuing mismanagement of some of the players on the team, mispositioning of some of the players on the team, but I think the system works. I want to see him more against better competition. And there is just that bit of hope in my heart that someday he will stop playing Fortuny and Mantaros on the wing and he will maybe, just maybe, at least sub out Bacasetas once. That's what I'm going to ask for for now. Just, just maybe he doesn't play the whole 90 minutes once. Anthony, I'm going to have you go next. Final words for now for the Ethniki, for JVS. What are your thoughts on the future? Honestly, <clears throat> I agree with, with you and Adi. Uh, I do see a silver lining, especially compared to Skibby. Um, you know, we don't play the best, most attractive football, but I've seen some, some you know, steady improvements maybe here and there. It's just the thing that I would love to see is Bacasetas dropped and stop playing favorites bring Manolas back, play Fortunis where he's supposed to be playing, and just, you know, maybe try and switch things up here and there. Because sometimes I think the 4-2-3-1 is a little redundant, especially when we're playing, like, games we should be winning. I don't think you have to field a 4-2-3-1 every time. Um, but, I mean, overall, there is some hope, and I'm holding out, and I don't think he should be sacked. I think we should keep him on for now, try to build off, but address the personnel issue. That's the biggest thing for me. Instead of looking back, I'm just going to look for the future. And what I see, I think I was a little blinded by the Super Greeks positivity last episode. And I was feeling we could do it, we could do it. Now I'm going to look at this Greek national team, how a lot of us Olympiakos fans look at this national team and how we see it. Gramenos' term as head of the Hellenic football organization is going to come to an end. 
and there's going to be a new president and of course Karameno selected Van Chip. We're going to go into March and it matters the group as well. I I think we've gotten so lucky with these Bosnia groups like how many years in a row. I think we're going to eat a good group this time and we're going to eat a lot of goals and I I'm not saying fire JVS right now, but he's going to get fired in March or maybe in June when the second round of games happen. I'm pretty sure about that because you you're you're not going to beat anyone with this football with these teams. So Velas going MMA on people. I'd be surprised if JVS is the Greek national team manager in June. I'll just put it that way. I'm going to say in terms of the brand, I'm a little older than you guys. I remember some of the older teams a little bit better. And I remember some ugly, ugly, ugly stuff from Greece. Pure ugliness. Now, we do look a lot better. We're possessing better, touching it more. Metrics uh, enforce that. They support it. I like the system. I really do. I, I like the overlapping wingbacks. I love the style of play. I think, I think we can do well. I think Van Chip can do well. I think he needs to park his ego because he definitely has one. He needs to park it. He needs to take a little bit of an inward look at himself and really come to terms with who he has available to him and what needs to be done. You know what? It might upset some of the guys that he's already put his faith in. He might let them down. You know, he clearly has put a lot of faith in Bacasetas, a lot of, you know, guys like Tavelas, even Stathilidis. Sorry. You need to tell them, look, listen, your vocal leaders, I'm sure they are. And we've already heard that Bacasetas is that vocal leader. You guys got to take a step back. You're not what the team needs on the field right now to compete. You have a place, but I need to do something else. If he can do that, and he can actually put the right pieces, the right horses on the track for what needs to be done, I think we're going to be okay. Can't fire him yet. I don't want to fire him yet. I see something there. I just want him to first play the right people and also grow a pair of balls. Use the lineup. Change it up. And finally, use tactics. Not the system you already have in place. I'm talking about game management. He has been horrible with it the entire campaign. That's the improvement I want to see. And I think that this national team can do something. And moving on to Panathinaikos Olympiakos, when JVS is fired, Yorgos Donis, man for the job, knows the players, is a player's coach too. He can deal with the egos. Perfect for the job. Let's talk this week and let's get excited because the teams we love to watch are playing. Yes, club football is back and I'm very excited. I know Lambro is excited. Antonio, we're going to get to you first. I see you pumping your fist right now in excitement. Panathinaikos, Olympiakos, Panathinaikos. As we talked about last time, it wasn't too long ago. Tough start, but a new manager comes in and things look a little bit more promising. There might still be some issues with the team, but the results have been better going into this Olympiakos game. So I want to hear from you, Antonio. Let's first ask, what players are you interested in seeing for Panathinaikos? What type of lineup do you want to see? What lineup do you expect? And what players do you expect to make a difference for this Panathinaikos team? Uh, all right, I'll start with the lineup I would, I would personally like to see. And that would be a switch to a 4-2-3-1, drop Makeda. Carlitos is the striker. 
I want to see Lucas Villafañez as the as the ten behind Carlitos. On the left, I'd like to see Antonio Javier if he's available. I think he might be injured, so he might miss this game. On the right, I'd like to see maybe Hadziovanis over uh, Aitor, even though I'm very, I'm a critic of Hadziovanis. For the uh, midfield, it'd be Curbelis and Mauricio. Left back, uh, Zagaritis. Center back, Puguras and um, Shevgenfeld. And then right back, I heard it's going to be Molo because Sanchez is injured. And then I think Antonito has uh, COVID. So, And then goalkeeper, Viudis, uh, the classic. I think that's the most balanced formation that we can go with and, and um, set of players. Uh, but realistically, I think we're probably going to go with a 4-4-2 again with uh, Maqueda and uh, Carlitos. Even though personally, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but Carlito, or I'm sorry, Maqueda had a uh, a little bit of a spat with Bologna. So I don't know if he's going to get punished for that. But I hope they go with what I prefer, honestly, from what I've seen. I think he probably will get punished for that. Funny little fun fact about Laszlo Bologna, guys. When Yaya Torre played for Libyakos way back when, and he went to Monaco and played for Monaco the season after he played with us. His coach at Monaco was Laszlo Bologna. And he got into a huge spat with Bologna because Bologna kept playing him out of position. And he, we know that he's a, a deeper-lying midfielder, can play box-to-box, also is very physical. And Bologna wouldn't play them in the midfield. He kept playing them all over the place. And he got into a huge spat, a spat that eventually lost Bologna his job when the club valued Yaya Torre as a player over Bologna. So just some fun little history I learned uh, back when I was uh, on the Blue Moon podcast. Just some fun little history. Thought I'd throw that in there. But I find it interesting that uh, you brought up the 4-2-3-1 because I know, obviously, the 4-4-2 is more popular, more popularly used by Bologna for Bonifinacos, but he did run that 4-2-3-1 against, uh, I think it was Apollon Smirnis, and he ran it against them. And the lineup you brought up was actually very similar to what he at least tinkered with or maybe even started with. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's what uh, he was experimenting with. Uh, and I'm hoping because we've seen we've seen Carlitos play as like a 10. And I'm kind of, you know, so far from what we've seen, Carlitos is a lot better as a striker, as him being the pure forward. He can play the 10. But since Villafañez is back, I mean, I'd prefer that we just drop Maqueda because realistically his his – his form has been quite bad, and honestly, his attitude stinks. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but uh, I think it's a positive having Carlitos in as the striker, his natural position, and just kind of having that more balanced lineup than this 4-4-2 now. I'm a fan of the 4-4-2, but I'm not a fan of Makeda. <laughs> Villafania's being back is just so big. I think that would be really interesting to see him back in Greece, and I also saw Frankenfeld, I think, last week signed a new contract, which is great news for the Super League and Panathinaikos because I think he's one of the better defenders in the league, quite good on the ball. He's quite fast, quite physical. But yeah, for, for Panathinaikos, last time out, you guys played Atromitos, right? And former Olympiacos, of course, and Panathinaikos player Lazarus Aristodolopoulos scored that goal that you guys away. What, what happened there? It seemed like a regression going back to early season woes, unable to score. Uh, honestly, from what I noticed in that game, I mean, there was no creativity. Uh, you know, Mauricio came in and he kind of, he, he added some creativity to the midfield. But my main concern when I watch that game is I feel like there's a division in the locker room between the players that were there under Donis and the players that came this summer under Poyatos and, and, and Roca. Because I'm noticing certain patterns, you know, 
Facundo Sanchez has had Giovanni's on the right and it's a simple pass and he'll dink it across or he'll do something complicated just to not pass to Hadji Giovanni's. Curbelis won't pass to Velez. And I'm just noticing the, these weird patterns of the old players and the new guys that brought in and they're just, something's up. I, that's, that's what the main takeaway from that game was, I think. And I wonder if it has to do with the replacement of Danny Poyatos as the manager. We talked about last time we had you on how you know, he brought in all these players to play in his system. You know, you have two strikers for this 4-4-2. But he leaves, and then maybe you'll have a new manager who just doesn't know how to use them. I wonder if the conflict between Donis' players, a lot of the young Greek players, or guys who had been there last season, the conflict between them and the new players that have been brought in this summer might be because of frustration that Poyatos has been sacked and maybe worries about their lack of involvement in the team now that the guy who brought them in is gone. That's my main concern. And that's something that I've noticed as well, because I mean, even just little things like I'll go around on social media and I'll see former players poking fun at the Spanish project of Panathinaikos. And you can see something there. I'm thinking these foreign players aren't really as down to assimilating to the, the Greek way of life, I guess, or the Greek culture of football. Uh, and it's it's clear. And that's that's the thing concerning me going into this derby. Was this break enough to kind of heal qualms? I mean, realistically, I don't think. I think this is going to be a problem going forward. Uh, hopefully we can get rid of the rotten apples. But this is going to define the season for Panathinaikos, I think, this locker room divide. Of course, and ahead of a big derby too. You know, you guys do well. It could be season-changing. You know, if you do well, it could be a, a, that deeper kind of drop. Now, I wanted to ask because you already kind of had some insight. We have a lot of injury issues. We've got some COVID issues. So there's going to be a good chunk of our starters not able to play. You know, in some cases, literally the entire depth that's available isn't, isn't there. You know, we're going to be playing probably one or two people out of position, maybe even a false nine, which we don't usually run. It depends. Do you think Bologna is going to make an adjustment, maybe play more openly than he would have? I know he probably was planning on playing more defensive. Do you think he might take more risks because there's a little bit of chaos surrounding the players available? I mean, honestly, yeah. I found out the news from your guys' page today, actually, that all these Olympiacos players are out or they have COVID. And now that I've seen that, I mean, I would hope that Bologna is going to go with a more attacking plan. I mean, that's kind of something as a Panathinaikos fan you're going to want to see. I mean, if we can't take advantage of Olympiacos' situation now, which could be season-changing as you stated, I mean, I don't know, man. I'd like, they're, they're going to have to go with something more attacking, and that's what I'm hoping. Don't don't play it safe, Bologna. Just please, <laughs> we're going to have to <laughs> play it attacking. This is a, this is a derby. You know, we gotta, we got to pounce on it. I think that's a good point. I think with these rivalry games, really, uh, there's always the opportunity of something crazy happening. You never really know. But going to those injuries that Adi brought up, I mentioned them at the beginning, but I, we haven't really talked about how they're going to affect the lineup for Olympiacos. So the most concerning one for me, left back. We talked about how when everyone is healthy, this is a position of concern. Jose Holebas was used in a friendly and got hurt. Why was he playing? We talked about that already. Ruben Vinagre was already injured. He's not going to make it back for this game or the Manchester City game. So what do we do? The options for me are play one of the right backs out of position, whether that's Rafinha or Mohamed Drager. I honestly 
don't know who would be better on the left side, who's more of a left-footed player. I'm not actually sure. Maybe Adi and Nambro have their thoughts. We've also got a young prospect, Apostolos Apostolopoulos, who might come in, and I think he's been training with the first team, but I honestly doubt that he is thrown into the fire against Panathinaikos. He's lucky that there aren't fans. I mean, certainly if fans were in the stadium, no way he's played in that game. I think it's either one of the right backs on the left or I guess maybe Bruno, but Bruno also had that situation partying with Semedo and Lazar, so he might just be being punished and not get in. Also, he's not very good. Yeah, I, no, there's no way we bloody Apostolopoulos in a derby. He's Greek. He knows what this derby means, even without fans. It's no. Uh, and we've seen what derby, the, how derby games get. It doesn't matter how much talent Olympiakos have or, or how much talent Panathinaikos has. It is a derby. Panathinaikos' double-winning team, the season they won the double, Olympiakos beat them twice in the derbies. And Libyakos was a shadow of its former self. These derbies completely change. It's like divisional games, huge rivalry divisional games in the U.S. and American football. You know, it, 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 the game changes. It becomes a little bit uglier. Tempers flare a little bit. It, it's a different game. and It's a completely different type of game. A lot of pressure. There's no way we put up Postolopoulos in it. Now, Rafinha will probably play on the left. He has played left back before. That I could see. And Drager will probably start on the right. He looked great in his first appearance for us. Very attacking. Great with the ball at his feet. The only concern is, can he track back? We're going to be, you know, of course, a little bit thin in terms of our depth. And he has to be very careful. That was my one concern about him. But it's going to be an interesting game to see. I, that's what I think we're going to see in the, at the back. And then in the striker, I really hope. I don't want to see the false nine. I'd rather see Sudani just play striker. We all know he's a clinical finisher. And I'd rather just see that. Yeah, I've also read even uh, Yorgos Masuras may be ready to play striker too. So not great news. Um, actually, talking about left back, I read some articles actually today that Ruben Vinagre was in Portugal, like getting special therapy and maybe he could make it. Jolebas like is also last second, unclear if he's going to make it, as you said. And we need to remember too that... A lot of these guys are coming back from international break, from abroad, from Africa, from different time zones, from playing three matches in 10 days. Draker, at least, has played heavily internationally. And, and our Greek contingent as well. Fortuny's just played 95 minutes of tough football, you know, where he put the team on the back, you know. And he's going to be maybe the striker and the main creator for us now. So it's a danger game, this one. The only thing is we're at home. I know that means nothing, but hey, we're at home. Well, that is true, Lambro, but it really doesn't seem like we have many options. I mean, for me, we can't afford to rest Costas Fortunis. I think he has to be in the team in that central attacking midfield position. Maybe you give Maxi Lavera a try there instead, maybe. I don't want to see Fortunis as a false nine. I would prefer Sudani who last year, that man would score goals in Greece. He was a big player. He was a guy that we wanted for Europe. I just remember the first half of that season last year, just wanting him in Europe instead of Guerrero. So that's my thought. Sudani, maybe Hugo Kuypers comes in and gets that position at the top, but I think it has to be Sudani for me. I do hope that we see Lovera in some capacity, maybe as a sub for Fortunis. We want to make sure he doesn't get too much run. I want to make sure he does get some rest. But 
this is definitely going to be a tough one. I assume we see Masuras and Bruma on the wings, maybe. Uh, hopefully not Lazar, at least for Lambros's sake. And Masuras, I'm going to assume they don't actually use him as a false nine. So I assume that's what we'll probably see in attack. Uh, and then, I mean, I just wanted to go back to what uh, Lambro had brought up. I mean, Fortunis had played a lot of minutes during this international break. And I'm thinking only Kurbelis from Panathinaikos really played heavy minutes during the uh, the international break. I think Hadjiovani's only played in the... Um, he played like a few minutes in the Moldova game and he only played in the friendly. So yep. the majority of this Panathinaikos side is going to be rested. I mean, for, you know, a little over a week. I don't know if that'll cause rust, but I mean they're going to be coming up against a battered Olympiacos side that's really tired. But also, like Adi was saying, th these these rival games, you never know what's going to happen. Olympiacos or Panathinaikos could be in last place and somehow they'll snag a win against Olympiacos. So this, I think, is going to be a very, very interesting um, derby this time around. I thought we were going to get blown out. I'm going to be honest, two weeks ago, I'm like, oh, man, so Olympiacos is going to batter us. But honestly, who knows what's going to happen now, guys? This is going to be really, really interesting with everything going on. You know, I personally think that Bonifinaikos' players, for the most part, seem to have gotten just the right amount of playing time on international break. I mean, well, Corbelli's played a lot, but Hatsiovanis got in but didn't get in too much. And then we go to the under-21 team where Emanulidis and Buzukis both appeared, I believe, for Bonifinaikos. So they got a little bit of run, but they didn't get overplayed. So I think for Bonifinaikos, it's a good situation. Obviously, a lot of their Spanish players... You know, if you're Spanish and playing in the Greek League, you're probably not going to be playing for the Spanish national team. So they were just at home in Athens training, but they certainly have kept their legs fresh in that sense and maybe had some friendlies. I know Olympiacos had a friendly. I don't know if Panathinaikos did play a friendly over the break. Yeah, we, we actually played a friendly, I think, with, with Apollon again. And something that concerned me is I think they got a draw. I think it was like a 2-2 draw. And everybody's joking that even these days, we can't even get a win in a friendly game. So Mate. We lost 5-2 <laughs> to Atrobitos in our friendly, so could be worse. Yeah. I'm still waiting also for uh, Hadziovani's. Adoni, I've heard you on the Elas 40 podcast kind of lament Hadziovani from what you and what you've seen. I'm waiting for like this stellar performance. It could be like, Adoni, you lied to me. <laughs> this guy is running through our defense. Did Lambro call him the Greek Lazar on camera or was that off camera? <laughs> I I don't remember <laughs> these references. I just, I come, they flow. Does they that flow mean that Hatsiovanis is the Greek? Seba. Does that mean he's the Greek Serbian Seba? That's we're like going inception level here with the references. <laughs> Guys, yes. Hatsiovanis, he's got the technical ability, you know, he's got the dribbling, you know, he, he's got the vision, but the guy is arguably the worst decision maker I've seen. Like, oh my goodness, he has no end product. I mean, It'll be a simple pass, just pass to the left or cross it in, and he'll think he's Ronaldo and going three, four guys losing the ball. And God, I hope he turns it up against Pauk. I don't know what it is. He just loves turning up against Pauk. So I'm hoping he'll turn it up against Olympiacos. But gosh, I'm being, if I'm being honest, I don't know, guys. I, I'm not feeling good about him. Well, that's the same comments we have about Lazar. So it's funny that you mentioned that. Now, I don't want to take too long on this game, so why don't we all give our score predictions for this game, and then we do have a couple mailbag questions to get into. I will go first. I'm going to say it's a gritty 1-0 win for Olympiacos, despite some of the missing players, despite the fact that Panathinaikos seem to be much fitter as a team right now. Uh, I'm going to say a gritty 1-0. It's not going to look good. 
maybe we don't even deserve to win, but Masuras gets some goal coming in from the left wing. He's been watching it. Stelios Yanakopoulos film comes in and scores a nice goal. That's what I'll say. One nil. Anthony. Okay. Just because I've been bagging him all, the whole time for a couple weeks now, Bonatanakos <laughs> will win 1-0 with Akadzi Ovani. <laughs> <laughs> Hedging your bets, right? Right. If he plays bad, you can say that. If he plays well, you can say, I told you on the podcast. Listen yep, to it. Exactly. Look it up. <laughs> Adi? This is tough. I definitely, it's definitely not going to be easy. And uh, last year, we drew Panathinaiko 0-0. We, then we beat them 3-0. And then I think it was like the previous year we won one nothing, and then we drew also. So if we do win, it's going to be low scoring. You know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with one one draw. One one is a famous scoreline for one reason. Me and Peter enjoyed a great Olympiacos Panathinaikos memory with striker Cisse. Never forget <laughs> with that 96 goal minute end. goal. God, so actually, I'm going to go striker Cissé with a goal, and also <laughs> striker Hugo Kuypers, and I'm going to say Via Fanez, I've always rated for some reason, I don't know why, I, I, I get him on the score sheet, either coming on as a sub or something else, I, I think he's got a goal in him. And for the listeners, when Labro says striker Cissé, especially the older listeners, he's not referring to Panathinaikos Cissé, the old legend, he's talking about our Cissé, that is a wonder free kick heading specialist some call him the next ronaldo yes we've seen <laughs> him on the back striker well with that we are very excited for the game definitely going to be the top thing for me this weekend we do have some mailbag questions adi i'll let you handle the first one so the first mailbag question is from hanu uh on twitter you can follow him at h4nuu and guys this is definitely somebody you should follow Hanu does a lot of Russian Premier League coverage. He's a, he's a journalist for, for that, does a lot of coverage for that league. But he also has done interviews for the Greek League. He's interviewed people from Ike, Asteras, uh, Vice President, I believe, from Asteras Tripoli, Panetolikos. So he has interest in the Greek League. He's done some work for it as well. Definitely give him a follow. Check his stuff out. Uh, again, you can follow him at H4N. And is in Nancy UU. And his question was, what do you think is the upper limit of this current Olympiaco squad, both domestically and in Europe? For me, you know, the upper limit, had we had a real preseason, guys, I think second place would have been a very reasonable discussion. But obviously, without any kind of preseason, that difficulty, and now with the injuries and the COVID issues, not knowing if we're going to have a dark horse from the bench really provide and kind of take ownership of any of these open roles now, I think realistically we're looking at a Europa League, a Europa League spot again in this campaign. And I think we can definitely get to round of 16. And I think this season, as it goes on, will get better. And we could probably even push for a round of eight appearance in Europa League. For me, it's not too different than what you just said, Adi. Especially with Valbuena out now, I think, sadly, third place is kind of what we have to shoot for in this group. And then we go into the Europa League with a healthier, recovered team and make a run. I think we can go pretty far in that. I would like to see quarterfinals, like you said, Depending on who we draw, I could see us going even farther. I'm always really optimistic about us in Europa League. After last year, we looked like we could have beaten Wolves as well. 
we would have gotten Sevilla if we did. So that would have been a tough one. But I still think that we can go far in Europa League. And then, as we've said, the expectation is to win the domestic league in Greece as well as the Greek Cup. So hopefully a double again and then hopefully a Europa League run. Yeah, I think a double domestically. And then, I don't know, I'm even worried for this third place spot. I think going away at Marseille, I'm... I'm a bit worried about that game. I think there's a fear we could see that slip away. I can remember the last time we didn't have European football in the in the winter. So I don't want to say that's not going to happen, but this season, this team has just been weird, you know? I, I, don't, I don't know. We discussed it right before the international break after the game with Ofi. It's just, it feels weird, you know? I, the football hasn't been so good and this COVID and it's kind of strange. I don't, I, I don't know. Like right now, I... My head is kind of saying it's not going to go so well. I, th- I think this team can put it together, and I trust Coach Martins to get us to round of 16, I think, Europa League. Honestly, I've got Olympiacos to, to win. I think they're going to win the double if they can stay healthy and if this whole COVID thing can get sorted out because, I mean, I've been seeing you know teams in Greece getting affected by it. Um, Europe, I honestly thought you guys were going to be able to get a um, second-place finish, but... The injuries are really – the injuries came at the worst time possible. And with this COVID, I believe, like, two of the players have COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, realistically, it's going to be the best bet is to aim for a Europa League spot. And like you guys were saying, last year's campaign in the Europa League was quite impressive. So I think Olympiacos will oppress in the Europa League, and I think eventually they'll win the the domestic league because, you know, honestly, as a Panathinaikos play, uh, player, as a Panathinaikos fan, <laughs> Olympiacos has – uh, they have a, a top squad. They just have to stay healthy. And with that, let's get to the next mailbag question. There are a couple of these that we have sort of answered already, but this one from our good friend Chuck Curdy on Twitter, someone who interacts with us a lot. He's a model listener. We love when people interact with us on social media. Chuck asked us, who would be your top three or five young Greek players currently in the Super League, 23 and under, he says. For me, the first one is obviously Tzolis. I think... Mikhailidis is also a name that pops right up immediately for 23 and under. In the Super League, is Hatsiovani's 23? Your, your guy, Antonio, is he still 23? Would he I qualify? think he is 23. He's 23, 23 so yeah. he would go on there. I think a couple other Panathinaikos players you could throw on. Uh, I think Buzukis is surely still under. He might be 22. Any thoughts from you guys? Binakas from Larissa. I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. He's only 19, I think, right? Yeah, he's very young. So that's definitely a player that I was looking at, you know, especially the last couple of games. Very, very interesting. Lambro, how about you? 100% Danasi Sandrutsos. I still have faith in him. He's 23 years old. <laughs> and actually, Pinakas, I was reading Force, I think, and they were saying we're linked with him. So we're always linked with everyone. But another player who's just off in Holland, Lazarus Labru. Famously known for being a bit skilly and silky on the ball. He came through the Panathinaikos Academy, then went to Pauk, and then Ferreira, like he does with all wingers, cast them aside to the bench. And so now he's in the Netherlands. I honestly think he could be something good. Lazarus Rota, I guess, in the Netherlands. Um, Jolis, of course. We're just going to have to wait and see. Oh, you disappointed me. I thought you were going to save Rusai, too. I was waiting for him to come out. <laughs> So, uh, Lakis Rusai, Apostolopoulos. <laughs> I mean, look who else is on our U21 squad. Christian Belich, he's not even Greek. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah. 
Wait, I didn't know we were listing players that Pedro Martins is going to just never play. Um, but anyway. Uh, I'd say Buzuki's bias aside, I, I like him. Um, Tzolara, as I call him. Tzolis from uh, Pauk. <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, Mikhailidis. And yeah, Pinakas. Uh, you know, Michael's very, um, he's very, uh, he's he really likes Pinakas. And I did read that he's linked with Olympiacos. So yeah. He's it's like pl- the only it's the only player that Michael really seems to have a positive attitude towards on life. <laughs> <laughs> the the one hope. <laughs> Let's get to the next question. This one comes from Olympiacos Argentina, who you can follow on Twitter at Olympiacos A. What result harmed Greece more? The 0-0 draw against Kosovo or the 0-0 draw against Slovenia? Assuming he's referring to yesterday's 0-0 draw against Slovenia. I love how when 0-0 draw against Slovenia is mentioned, we have to say, oh, which 0-0 draw against Slovenia? That's nice. I mean, I'm going to say yesterday's result is more harmful just because the immediate result of it, I felt like it was really there for the taking if they used the right personnel. So I will say that one. But obviously drawing with Kosovo is something that should never happen. Well, this question was posted before the game. So I think he was talking about the first 0-0 draw against Slovenia. Then I'll say the Kosovo one, just because you got to think you get three points from that. And it would have put us in a slightly better position for today. What about you, Lambro? Yeah, the Kosovo one for sure, actually. Zeka was on the radio this morning. I was listening to him. I, I have a soft spot for Zeka, even though he's Panathinaikos and he used to get in our player's face and blah, 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 blah. I, I, I just think he's just such a great guy. And they were talking about how he yells the anthem and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, they, they mentioned to him, if we had beat Kosovo, we would have only needed a draw to go through. And so that's the big one, right? Then we would have packed up shop, different game. So initially, uh, Greg Gavalas, I think, said the same thing on Twitter. He had commented on a, a post that somebody tagged us in. And he said the same thing, Kosovo. I agreed until the Slovenia game because let's say we did beat Kosovo. Probably would have been one nothing, maybe 2 nothing. We actually still would have lost on goal differential, right? Yeah, because Slovenia absolutely schlacked Moldova. Exactly. We so would have had to beat drew, Kosovo 4 nothing. Right, exactly. So it wouldn't have mattered if we beat Kosovo. So it has to be the first game against Slovenia because you get a result, then none of the other nonsense matters. I'm going to change my answer from what it initially was because, you know, even if we had beaten Kosovo 2 nothing, which is really the only thing the national team seems to do, we can't beat anybody 3 nothing, 4 nothing. So I think that first Slovenia game actually turned out to be the one that decided it. Adoni? Initially, I was going to say Kosovo, but I didn't, I actually didn't think about that. Now that Adi brought that up, I guess the, the initial nil nil with, with Slovenia was the one that kind of did us in, then, right? Because that goal differential. Um, so that, yeah, I guess I'd have to go with Adi on that one and say Slovenia then, because I, I didn't even really look into it that much. Yeah. Slovenia really got some help from actually playing well against these, uh, much smaller teams, something that Greece had a lot of trouble with in this campaign. We do have a couple more questions that we'll address just because we're very thankful to have the interaction on social media, but these are things that either we answered already, or we just don't have an answer for. Our good friend Constantine from Olympiacos EU asked us, how is Bakasetas, the captain of the Ethniki? Well, I think my answer would be maybe that, as we discussed, uh, there's some player politics going on, and Jan van Schip is doubling down on his support for Bakasetas by giving him the armband. So I don't really want to talk about that too much more. George Soteropoulos asked us a handful of questions being critical of the Ethniki, and they are very similar to a lot of the things that we discussed. 
Why did Jon van Schip play Solis at striker and Pavlidis on the wing? Why play Bacasetas at the 10 when Fortunis is clearly superior at that position? Why wait so long to make tactical changes when it's a must-win game, especially in the 80th minute? <sighs> George, I don't know, my friend. I don't know. We discussed why these things are issues, but I'll never be able to tell you why they happened. We'll just have to hope they don't happen anymore in the future. I mean, we already kind of went ad nauseum. JVS just doesn't have any concept of game script. I I'm convinced. But I I don't think I'm actually going to go conspiracy theory on Bacasetas being captain. Player choice, you know, obviously it's an issue. But uh, having played myself growing up, you don't know sometimes how the locker room is going to unfold, right? We're not in the locker room. We don't know what the rapport is with the guys in there, right? Leaders come up randomly, and sometimes it makes no sense. There were guys I played high school with, uh, guys I played with on uh, when I did the Olympic development team here in Maryland. Um, there were guys I played with in high school that were quiet, were not leaders on the field, nothing. But then when I played ODP and we were playing in Italy, those were the leaders on that team. I mean, they were captains. It just depends on the group of people sometimes. So maybe in this group of people, Bacasetas has that locker room credibility, and that's and people look to him for that. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to explain. It depends on on the cohesion between that group of people. That could be it. It also could be JVS. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to just completely disallow that. It could be it, but you know, sometimes you don't know where where it comes from. The thing is, the captain that should be Zeka. Zeka should be the captain. Everywhere Zeka has gone, he's been the captain. But I yep. think the, oh, Zeka's not a real Greek, his Greek's maybe not perfect, is letting him down there. He walked into Copenhagen a year later. He wears the number 10, voted the best player in the league, and is the captain. He has the material, his fight, his running, his cutting, blah, 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 blah. He's the captain. He's the one. We saw it at Panathinaikos, even when they were less talented. He would grab those guys from the scruff of their neck and just drive them. So I would like to see Zeka be the captain, which is so strange. People are going to be like, what? What number? It's like, love Zeka? Yeah. I kind of, I now that he's left Panathinaikos especially, I, I rate Zeka. Yeah, we talk about it every time there's a national team game. When you see them singing the national anthem, he's not just singing it. He is belting it out there there is like motion in his chest and his neck he is screaming the national anthem and none of the greeks if you know since we seem to care about the greeks none of them are screaming it not you know they're just sitting there uh, you know a greek is somebody that has pride about greece and stelios yanakopoulos said it in the interview we did with him you become more greek when you leave greece you know you're a lot of a lot of us greek americans greek australians we're more Greek than the actual Greeks are. And I don't mean that as an insult to Greeks. You're there. You know, it's something you're used to. We're not there. Greeks that are outside or Greeks that aren't living there constantly, you know, we don't get to see that every day. So our patriotism and our love for Greece is our connection to it. I mean, that's it. And, and Zeka found that connection. I don't want to – and nobody should begrudge him that. I think if his name was Hauranampos Zekopoulos, he would probably be the captain of the Greek <laughs> national team. But – you know, people just have their their opinions about things, and I guess they're not going to change. I definitely think he's done nothing wrong, and he's he shows more Greek pride, as we said, than pretty much anyone else. I think that about wraps things up, though. Uh, we've done a lot of talking. 
And we do want to say thank you again to Antonio for coming on. We always appreciate your insight. It's always great to get an update about Panathinaikos. You've gotten me real excited for the Derby on Saturday. And before we let you go, do you have anything else that you'd like to promote? We, I should say, but uh, before I let you promote things, the Hellas Football Podcast seems to be doing great. I'm sure folks who listen to this would enjoy that type of content. So feel free to let them know where they can find it as well. Uh, yeah, you guys can find it on Twitter at Hellas Footy. Uh, our podcasts are on Linktree that we have them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on uh, Anchor. And we record them usually every Monday Monday night, and they're uploaded around 11 a.m. on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, check it out. We're always talking about, you know, the weekly uh, Super League matches, the ethnic key, and uh, all that stuff. And thank you guys for having me on. I really enjoyed talking about the Derby, the national team, uh, everything going on with that stuff. It's always fun. Of course, man. The pleasure is all ours. And before we do let people go, we, we want to, as always, say thank you so much for listening, especially if you've made it this far. We will be back on Monday with more content after the game. So enjoy this game. We'll be rooting for Olympiacos. Antoni will be rooting for Panathinaikos. It'll be great. Get involved in the conversation on social media as well because our Twitter fingers will be firing. We'll be posting on Instagram as well. Mm-hmm. So we won't talk about the Greek national team. Maybe Lambro's spirits will be a bit higher after this Panathinaikos game. Maybe a bike ride and then a nice win will get Lambro in a great mood. Going around the whole lake. Celebratory lap. We love to see it. I'm going to have a, I have a little gamble. My wife is a Panathinaikos fan. We have a little bet, gentleman, gentlewoman bet going on. (laughs) So, Olympiakos, please win. I want to win my bet. (laughs) Good. We'll, We'll be rooting for him for that much more, Adi, now that we know that. So, big game this weekend, the biggest game in the world, the biggest rivalry. So we will see you very soon.